0: Video recordings of this podcast can be found on RaisingEquity.org and RaisingEquity on YouTube.
1: Welcome to Raising Equity. Today we have a special topic in honor of Veterans Day. We're going to think about the intersection of being a veteran, mental health, and race-based traumatic stress. We have with us an expert in that area, Dr. Marva Robinson. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank
0: you for having me, and especially for such an important topic. Absolutely. Maybe give us a
1: framework around that intersection. Like, Why do we need to be focused on the mental health of our veterans other than the obvious of we should honor them and make sure we care for them because they made such a
0: sacrifice? Absolutely. You know, whenever I think of veteran for me, mental health is synonymous. Because anytime you have someone who is um thrusted into an environment that's not natural for them, you know, like boot camp and they're shipped overseas, and you know, whether they're in combat or not, that is a huge adjustment, right? And so there are some things that happen in response to that. And so, even if, you know, vets were in combat or not, we need to think about, their adjustment, their family that they left behind, you know, life at home still continues for them if they've lost loved ones and they can't be there. So, I mean, there's there's just a lot that goes into that. And plus, these are men and women who voluntarily sign their name on the dotted line to defend our freedom and liberties.
1: Well, and you bring up such a good point that I I sometimes don't think about, right? Like we think about veterans and automatically think of them in combat. Right. Right. And I mean, I know when I stop and think about it, but all the other pressures that they're navigating.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And so I do a social identity exercise in some of the workshops that I do. And um, it asks people to think about like their race, their gender, sexual orientation, all different social identities. And Mm I, in the past, I'd say seven or eight years have made sure that there is an other category because so many people who are veterans wanted Felt like that's a part of their identity and it they want it represented. absolutely
0: is. Yeah. Um. I think any veteran will tell you, especially the ones that um I've worked with through private practice or through my organization, is that you don't come out the same way you went in, right? And that's rather if you held a gun or shot someone or not, that it just, it is a life changing process. And so we have a lot of veterans, a, a great majority that never, ever go to combat, yet life is just not the same when they return. So a lot of things happen. There's different pressures, expectations. Um, And unfortunately for veterans of color, you know that experience also comes with a very different experience. And
1: I think some people might be surprised by that because a few things that I've heard with Mm -hmm. folks in the military, one, people assume it's the military. So it's all about merit and rank. It's not about race. Right, right. And two, people say, well, we, we don't have segregated ranks anymore, regiments anymore. So why would race be a problem? Can you talk about how that intersection plays out? I can.
0: Because actually, several of the vets that I've talked to um, have said, you know, I joined the military to escape the discrimination and racism that was going on. You know, I wanted to find a way to get out of, you know, colored only and all of this in the 50s and 60s and 70s. And so I just thought that when I went, that things would just be better. And they found out that it actually was worse. You know, and so because rank and status mean so much, they quickly discover that a lot of what they went through was discrimination being passed over, not being assigned appropriate MOSs or occupations. um, What's MOS? MOS, so it's it's like their occupation. Okay. The job title that they have. um, Who's being assigned to certain duties and certain details. All of that they quickly discovered was definitely had a very... um, racial undertone to it. Mm-hmm.
1: And I imagine some of these veterans, like you said, they're wanting to escape the racism are older. So when they went into the military, mm-hmm. things were different in our society.
0: Correct. Right? And they found out that going in, it was still no different. But even our younger vets experienced the same thing. And so, you know, when I've worked with, you know, older versus younger, it's it's so surprising to see that not much has changed. And even when vets get together themselves, you know, because a lot of them have social outings where they get together and they, you know, there's the older vets are sad to see that not much has changed from my generation to now. And so unfortunately, it's still, you know, a very big issue that has to be addressed.
1: Mm-hmm. I was thinking about a cousin of mine who uh, was in training and I believe he was studying Russian and he really enjoyed it. Okay, But he was getting a lot of pushback, almost kind of getting haze. Like, can you can you do this? and um, was getting pushed out of Russian to, I don't remember which language. And I remember just listening to him and wondering how much of it had to do with race. Like how much yeah. of it had to do with, we don't know that you'll fit. Should you learn Russian? This black guy who yeah. knows Russian, yeah, exactly. right? Like what will we do with you? Or do we trust you? Right. Yeah. All of the, all of the dynamics. And you know, all I could
0: do was listen because yeah. I'm not in his shoes and Absolutely. Inside his trajectory. Same thing for me. You know, I have several family members um, who I'm very close to and talk to that have served our country. And I listen. And even though through my private practice, I've worked with vets, it doesn't make me um, able to say I know what that's like. I totally respect the fact that I know nothing about what it's like to go through boot camp or hiking and camping and all of that. So... It is very much about respecting that space. But the stories that I hear from my family, you know, mirror that as well. Mm -hmm. You know, joining the Navy, wanting to do one thing, but being pushed, you know, to this other occupation that had nothing to do with what they tested in for. Really? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask what sort of stories can you tell? But I know, you know, being in private practice, we can't use names. There's confidentiality. But Yeah. yeah, if there are stories that you can share with folks to help them see how race intersects with the experience of being a veteran or being in the military. I mean, you.
0: there are even documentaries that are out there. There are blogs, there are stories, there are books that can definitely refer to the experience of being Black in Vietnam. You know, I, in doing my own research, realized where the dap came from. You know, I would see people, you know, dap each other up with the hand signals. And I just thought, oh, okay, you know, you see it in sports or whatever, did not realize that started in Vietnam. Really? Because the racism was so intense um, that you would have Black soldiers being killed by friendly fire. And so they developed a way of being able to signify that I'm safe and you're safe. So that's where the dab came from. Really? Yeah, I know, right? And so there were, you know, reading stories like that, that were just fascinating that, you know- they didn't want them to be in the military, but they were drafted in and then they were put on their front lines to be the ones who were first. You know, Or if race riots would break out in different camps that all of a sudden they would, you know, die by a friendly fire. And it's because they were being killed by other white soldiers. Like these things literally happened and there are real stories that account for this. It's, you know, so you'll hear a lot of them say, I didn't know who to trust, you know, and, and they wanted me to go out and kill these people who were the enemy. But it was really the enemy that was in my bunker. You know, and so it's those kind of things you think about you're away from home. You're in a totally different country, a different space. And who's supposed to have your back really doesn't. How can you return home and be the same? How can you trust a system and not really be sure of if that system is working for you or against you?
1: Right. And that's that's so hard for people to hear and and. I think they don't sometimes stop and think about the horrors that individuals went through. And and then to feel like, oh, to not stop that from happening, that means the system is complicit. Correct. Yeah. Do you
0: remember the name of the artist so people can, can learn more about it? Yes. I actually um, found his work online. His name is Lamont Hamilton. He had an exhibition with the Smithsonian. Mm. And so it talks all about his journey in learning more about the dab. you know, because you'll look at clips of different basketball players and football players with these intricate, you know, handshakes and things like that. And so he talked about his journey in learning where it came from. And so he interviewed and spoke with um, veterans, Black veterans from Vietnam. Any other
1: resources that you would point people towards? Movies or?
0: I mean, just to gain a better understanding, you know, if we're talking about movies, Red Tails, you know, is a good movie to watch. Um, The Tuskegee Airmen would be another one. Um, Just to kind of get a framework and an understanding of, you know, the extra lens of being a better enough color while serving in the military.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know that there's different organizations that have focused on justice and and veteran status. Um, Brian Stevenson.
0: Absolutely. I think he did something related yeah, to that. Yeah. About a year ago, he also um, produced a piece talking about the experience of Black veterans. And so um, you can even find, you know, that article online. That's a really good read as well.
1: Yeah. He's done great work.
0: I want to make my way down to the lynching museum. Absolutely. I've heard a lot about it. Have you? I've had a couple people that have gone that it's definitely an experience that you that stays with you for a while. So I,
1: I would imagine. Yeah. Well, it's That's interesting. I, I have uncles and other family members who I know served, but they don't want to talk about it.
0: Absolutely. And yeah.
1: I respect that. I have yeah. one uncle in particular who I love dearly, and I remember taking a um, Vietnam a class on Vietnam in undergrad, and I don't know if I called him or. Ha- happened to, maybe it was around Thanksgiving, right? Clearly, November. Right. And I thanked him for his service. This was when I was in college. So that was late 90s. He said I was the first person to ever thank him for his service. Yeah.
0: Well, there's a, so there's a lot of different dynamics with especially his service. Because I have an uncle who also served um, in Vietnam. And one is, you know, being told to do a job for your country, Right. Um, to preserve liberties and freedoms, and then coming back and being spit on and called horrific names. So not wanting to identify that, yeah, I was there, but then also not having the same level of recognition because you served and you were a veteran of color. So there's a lot of different lenses when it comes to this discussion about equity and veterans and combat and all of that. But yeah, I mean I'm not surprised. You know, my uncle served in Vietnam and we knew just not to talk about it a lot. You know, he so he struggled with nightmares. I can remember that when I was younger. You know, these horrific nightmares and waking up and you know, so it wasn't until, you know, later in life shortly before he passed that he showed me his Purple Heart pin and showed us his flag and you know, he talked to my son about that, but I could tell that just even looking at those medals brought back a lot of emotions and feelings about what it was like actually being there.
1: I can't imagine. Yeah. You mentioned that there were race riots.
0: Yeah. Yeah. At different Absolutely. He would tell me stories about, you know, even in the mess hall or the kitchen where there would be physical, literal fights, Black soldiers against whites. Absolutely. Yeah. That would break out or, you know, Black vets knew not to go out by themselves because they would come back bruised or beaten or you know rush to the hospital like these things actually happen. Um I had a cousin that told me about um how there were actual KKK groups that were amongst different you know ranks and different branches of the military. And I guess we shouldn't be surprised but it's so f- frustrating to hear like when I was surprised and you would and you know heard it all seen a lot you know but even I was surprised to hear that because you don't think of that that level of segregation when it comes to something like the the military, military right but then when I think about work that I've done in my practice with law enforcement it's definitely there right so I'm thinking, why Why would I not? No, why would I be surprised? Right. Yeah. Well,
1: and that's where I was thinking too. I was yeah. like, well, we know, we know historically, and people have said yeah. that law enforcement and the KKK, there was so much overlap.
0: Yeah, recruitment,
1: yeah. even on purpose. Yeah. Uh, so why wouldn't, why why would we expect that the
0: military would be devoid of Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Even well, in the fire department, you know, that's another one that comes up. Yeah. Because a lot of time, um, vets will come out and they will go right into helping professions law enforcement, firefighting, EMS. And it's like, we deal with the same thing on the fire department that we dealt with in the military. Mm.
1: And I think it's important to to pause and just name, because some people are like, oh, you're bashing the military. You said this is oh, to yeah, honor know. veterans. You know? No, <laughs> I actually think it's really important that we are honoring all veterans. Absolutely. By complicating Absolutely. the story of the idealized, romanticized you know, service to your country, as it's so idyllic. Well, it's also complicated. It's very
0: complicated.
1: And so yeah. in some ways, to, to not talk about the experiences that have been shaped by race and in class absolutely when we talk about the draft and yeah and where people get placed and yeah. status and hierarchy um that that actually robs them of being able to fully fully express what their experience was exactly
0: yeah like they have to just shut that away right
1: right they don't get to name
0: it they don't get to come out and have the same type of stories yeah that their comrades may have and so mm. you're right I definitely don't want to be in a position of Looking like we're bashing anything because I honor and respect all of our veterans. I mean, it's certainly something that I didn't sign up for, so I have nothing but the utmost respect. Um, but in giving a voice to those who had a very different experience, I think is is also important. I think it's essential. Yeah, it, it is. really is the tell a full story.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just thinking about more broadly the intersection of being a veteran and mental health
0: challenges. Absolutely right. So you say that I'm going to go off and do this job because I I can do it, I can shoulder this burden. And so to come back and not be the same, then there's this thing, this battle between, okay, I'm not sleeping, I'm not eating. You know, I keep waking up at a certain time. I want to isolate myself. I can't go in a restaurant with my family and just enjoy the moment. I'm looking at the entrance, the exit, my back's to the wall, but I don't want to tell anybody because then I'll seem weak or I'll seem like I couldn't handle it, you know? And so there's this ultra sigma for them of reaching help because it's like to get help is some admission of not being who you, you know, said you were when you signed up. And that is like the catch 22 of it.
1: Right. Well, that is another example of when we don't tell the full story. Right. Exactly. So if we only tell the story of being brave and fighting and, you know, and we don't say and I was also scared and I also had to get support when I came home because of what I did. Then you leave people unable to share what they're experiencing, absolutely. Which means you they know don't get help.
0: We, we don't hear a lot about that readjustment period because it is not easy. I can't imagine you know, you go from a structured regimen to life and then you you're back home, and it's like, now what? I just wear regular clothes and wh- you know, where do I work? You know, it's they have the exact same pressures of. I have to find a job. I have this family. You know, I have to find income. And it's like, you know, there isn't this fairy tale ending all the time. And so, you know, we definitely have a large, you know, population of homeless vets that live this reality of, I went in, I had an income, I knew what to do, I followed orders, then I came back home. And now what? Yeah. What do I do?
1: And it's it's interesting to me, or maddening, or frustrating that we, especially when you talk about those who are unhoused, like there's such a judgment, kind of like a moral failing, like you, you know, like you're not able to cut it. But there's such a high correlation between veteran status and and being homeless that, yes. like, I'm like, do we see this contradiction that it's that it's, uh, but then it also fits because I'm gonna say this: I don't think we are we are growing in our understanding mm-hmm. of what it means to be a veteran and the mental health impacts. Yeah. Because what, not even a hundred years ago, we didn't know what PTSD was. Exactly. We called it what shell shock syndrome. People right. were shot for yeah. having it. Right. So yeah. if we're honest, we are pretty judgmental of yeah. people for not being able to manage. Yeah. Yeah. Being in a mil being in the military. And so it 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 frustrates me that that we don't see the
0: contradiction and that we have not done better by them. Yeah. I think we, we definitely, um, even as a helping profession have a long way to go. Yeah. But I think because of, um, things like this, you know, having the conversation, we make it that much more, uh, put it much more on the lens of awareness. And so there's room for us to grow and we're trying, we definitely have a long way to go, but Yeah, I mean, it it just doesn't really get the attention that it deserves. Or I think because Hollywood played such a large role in romanticizing, you Mm. know, being in the military or being a soldier, and then you come back home to your family and life is good, that it leaves out a huge part of the real story. Hmm. You know, when you come back, you've been trained to be vigilant of where you are, your surroundings. So when you come back, does that just shut off? No, it doesn't. You know, and there is no school you go to to deprogram yourself. You're home and you're just supposed to adjust. It's one of the most difficult things that I hear a lot is that adjustment back, you know, that adjustment back to being a civilian.
1: So what can we do as civilians? And in your opinion, you've heard so many stories from veterans. What, What can we do? What do we need to know to support folks in their adjustment?
0: I think that, you know, if you know a veteran, love a veteran, right? You make it okay to say, hey, do you need any support? Um, How can I help you? Also being aware of the things that you see. You know, just even in our interaction with veterans, you know, I've learned personally, (laughs) you know, like with my family, never to walk behind them, you know, never to put my hand on their shoulder from behind. You know, I make noise when I enter the room, you know, not to say that something's wrong with them, but just to be respectful of the fact that I know you may still be in a difficult space and I want to respect that, you know. So being patient you know having access to information you know there's all if you were to just even google you know how can veterans get help or what how can i help a homeless veteran there's dozens of websites that will pop up and so just sharing that kind of information and normalizing it you know and and wanting to hear the stories about their time in also being open to hearing you know what what were the difficult times do you want to share that and how can i support you
1: right and it makes me think about out. with any mental health challenge some people will will default to oh you should be thankful that oh you should be so grateful that you're home right they try to make right. people feel better by by saying that and i'm thinking in the context of veteran status like that would be really minimizing i would imagine
0: not only that but a lot of veterans have survivors guilt mm. and they have this remorse like you're right you know i shouldn't be here you know my best friend he was there he had this incident with the IUD and he didn't come back, you know, it would have been better if I had because he paid the ultimate price and I didn't. So sometimes there's guilt that comes with that. So it is very minimizing, but also we have to realize, you know, we don't know what they're thinking and what they're processing. So sometimes just asking versus assuming, you know, is also a good start.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So I know that through your work with the Association of Black Psychologists mm-hmm. that there's going to be an intentional focus on yes. veterans and mental health. Can you talk more about
0: that? Yes. So we have several people um within the Association of Black Psychologists that are veterans, some that are still active duty. And so we also recognize that we should also be doing our part in recognizing and in um uplifting our veterans and our active duty um military servicemen and women and so um, there's been talks about, you know, even in the Journal of Black Psychology, having a focus on veterans and active duty um, servicemen and women. And so that's a big focus for us. And so we've been talking about it at the last convention. And so I'm very excited that we're, you know, giving more attention to that, that you know, amazing group of individuals.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And even thinking about intersectionality there, what are some of the challenges that come for, come for women in
0: the military and oh maybe even
1: women of color? right? Do you have anything
0: to share? Absolutely. There? Because not only do you have the burden of not being home, being away and having to trust a group of strangers, but then with women, sexual assault is rampant in the military. I mean, one in four, one in three women will have been sexually harassed or sexually violated. So that's the additional lens. And then also being given... Um, occupations below what you test for or not given rank because you're black and a female, that population, you know, has definitely should be a spotlight in honoring their heroism because the stories that I've heard from them is just, it's unbelievable. I have colleagues that are in ABC that are female and have served in the things that they've gone through. You just, you wouldn't imagine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. So is there a place for women and women of color to have these conversations or even veterans of color? Like, where are these where are these conversations happening? Is it only when they work themselves up to go seek therapy or is the military? Do you know of any efforts?
0: I don't know of anything as far as those that are active duty. I know that when you're out that there are different places that people can go to um like the vet center. There's vet centers in every state that, you know, is not associated with a hospital that people can go to get support and talk about trauma and things like that. And those often have different divisions and sectors for women and then for women of color. Um But the women that I know that have served, it's just been them gathering amongst themselves to say, hey, you know, I share your experience with you. Let's talk about that. Or sometimes they don't talk about it. Just knowing that, like, I know what you went through. You know, it's like a silent sisterhood or a bond. Hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. I I can't imagine. Yeah. And that's part of why I don't ever question, you know, giving... Appreciation and thanks.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, and I've even raised my son that whenever we see someone, whether they're wearing a hat that identifies their status or if they're in fatigues, he always says, Thank you for your service. Mm -hmm. You know, and sometimes, and I've heard from others that, you know, it's a negative reminder, but usually people who identify themselves as military servicemen or women are okay with hearing that. Mm. So I tell them, By all means, you say that because you. Have no idea the sacrifice that that individual gave.
1: Right. Yeah. No, you really don't. Yeah. I, I do think it's important to to thank people for their service. Absolutely. And I also clearly, because we're doing this episode, think it's really important to highlight the the nuances and the complexity of service when Absolutely. you are a member of a marginalized group. And yeah. so, I, I'm just naming that. I know that sometimes people feel like to question or to critique is to be anti-american. Right. And I think yeah. about uh Crossroads anti-racism training talks uh one of the trainers talks a lot about being a critical lover, right? That if you're a mm. critic and and an institution can do no right, people stop listening. If you're a lover and an institution can do no wrong, People are just like yeah, yeah, yeah. They just no matter what they do, they're a lover, right? But you want actually, you want critical lovers—people who love you enough to critique you so you can do better. Absolutely. And so that's my thought and opinion. I don't know. What are your thoughts?
0: It's it's very touchy, right? Because any you know when you have individuals who have made an ultimate sacrifice. Depending on where that individual is, they can hear critique as "you're right" because I experienced that while I was in, or they can hear it as "you're dumping on everything that I've stood for." Right? Like, you how know? dare you? Exactly. So it it's it's touchy. Now, I will say that um, within the Association of Black Psychologists, we do certain ground root uh, groundwork training, um, emotional emancipation circles. And so we've even ran this training with groups that have had v- veterans within it. And so for them, when people critique patriotism or taking a knee during the Star Spangled Banner, um, to hear the responses, it, it kind of varies. For them, it's, I can understand it. Um, I'm not saying that I don't like this country. Of course I do, because I stood up for this country But I do want to bring awareness that we have some issues that need to be brought to light. And so you get to hear those very complicated conversations. So, Yeah.
1: No, it is. It's complicated because on the one hand, we know that Kaepernick was told to take a knee you know, a veteran told him that that would be a respectful way to protest, right? And then we also don't want to allow one person to be a spokesperson for all
0: veterans. Absolutely, absolutely. So even on, you know, I followed that through Facebook. You know, you had some veterans that were saying, you know, I agree. You know, what is going on in our society tonight is not what I went and fought for. You know, they are not disturbed you know, demonstrating the American values that I put my life on the line for. So I, I stand with him. Mm-hmm. And then you had others that say, well, how dare you? You know, I lost friends. I lost loved ones. And here you are spitting in the face of everything they did. So it it becomes a very touchy situation. Um, and when I'm working with veterans in private practice, I kind of follow their lead on that subject, if it gets to to that topic,
1: mm-hmm. oh, yeah. I can't imagine how it couldn't,
0: yeah, right. I mean it's just <laughs> they're so it's so intertwined it is it is because I'm one of those people who my default is always utmost honor and respect. Thank you very much. you know, um, thank you for your service. You know, patriotic, I teach my son the same. And then there's some that say, "But why? You know, they did this to me. They did that to me. I've been denied this. I don't respect it. So then I'm like, okay, well, let me give this space to tell your story. Right. You know, and then I hear the stories about being denied benefits or not being believed or, you know, I went there with these individuals and they receive these benefits and I don't. And, you know, so those are still stories that happen.
1: Really? So it
0: it does become very complicated, to say the least. Oh, gosh. I didn't even think about how benefits would play into it. Oh, my gosh. You know, I have... Family members now that are in this process of saying, I went, I served, I sustained this injury. I'm no longer able to work. You know, I'm applying for this benefit and being told no, or they're not believed or they're being questioned because whoever interviews you or examines you, it it ends up being their opinion, right? And so we know as psychologists, you know, especially if you do forensic work, you know, your ability to identify with the person you're, you're working with shows in your ability to advocate or not for them, right? Your ability to believe and trust that they're a reliable informant. And so when you have no connection with the person you're interviewing and you give your opinion and you're a person of color sitting across from someone who doesn't look like you, that's a whole nother subject. Well, especially
1: if that person doesn't see your full humanity. Absolutely. and believes the lies. absolutely.
0: The lies that have been told about you and your absolutely. people. Group. absolutely. absolutely. Ah. And so there's there's research studies out about that, you know, because in the military, they're able to apply for things like a service connection benefit, which means they sustained an injury while they were in. And so because of that injury now that they're out, they aren't able to make earn their full potential. So they can apply for a monthly stipend to help compensate for treatment and care and things like that. And so there's research studies that have been published that show that overwhelming um, majority of African-American vets are often denied when they apply for benefits for post-traumatic stress disorder compared to vets who are white. And so, you know, there's a, another undercurrent of looking at how that plays out. So yes, complication is a very <laughs> light way to put it. Uh, yeah.
1: yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that that just speaks to a lot of the research even outside of the military around, um yeah, narratives, assumptions, who's believed, who's not. Disability who's seen, in general. Yes. Who's seen as know? malingering, who's seen as absolutely. wanting a handout and exactly. how that gets framed around race
0: and class often. Absolutely. But race, absolutely. It's a racialized conversation. Yeah. And I mean, and I know that this particular episode is on veterans but even in my private practice doing disability evaluations you come across the same thing really um because we would have veterans that would come in and apply because they weren't able to get certain things when they applied to the military so they would try like SSI and you're looking at these records and you see the history and you're like who would not believe that you have PTSD but it's a struggle that they've gone through and then you read the exams from your colleagues, and it's like malingering or respondent says this, but it may be due to drugs and alcohol without a thought that, oh my, you know, having unhealthy coping skills to cope with flashbacks and nightmares is what any human person would do. You do the best you can with the skills that you have. And so, why would we not think that consuming alcohol or smoking cigarettes is? A way of trying to self-medicate versus the reason why they are where they are. And so I see it all the time. Definitely.
1: Oh, uh, so then no, I mean, no wonder there would be this feeling of I shouldn't seek help. I should Absolutely. be able to get myself together. There's a stigma. Absolutely. And you're
0: judged. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because when you are seeing someone and you're and you're giving your full honest truth about what you've gone through. And you do mention a stint of binge drinking or cannabis use or whatever have you, that and you know, that becomes the main focus of your assessment, you know, and especially for veterans, you know. I've spoken to, you know, my uncle would tell me, never had a cigarette, never drank alcohol, but you go into the military and you're in combat zones, especially when they were in Vietnam, there were ration cigarettes, you know. Everybody had flasks, right? So then you come back, and now you smoke cigarette, and you're told cut out tobacco. It's like, well, you, you literally me how to gave smoke. this to exactly. me.
1: Oh my goodness! I you had know, no Everyone idea. had
0: smoke breaks, so if you weren't a smoker, then you just didn't get a break. That's what he told me. Yeah, and so it was more to your advantage to be a smoker than to not. So then you start smoking as a way to cope and to deal with the nerves. And then you come back and you're just supposed to just, what, stop? Exactly. So, you know, that's just one of the, you know, many examples and and stories that I've heard from him and, you know, from others that, you know, we, we just set up this, I don't know, almost like stacking the deck. Almost yeah. Against you, yeah.
1: And we have so much research in like the addictions literature to know mm-hmm. that that, for example, the smoking and the drinking, right? Like you mentioned, it's to cope with the stress of the environment, Absolutely. right? Like so, people don't just want to be addicted. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and so then it's a, it's like we go back to this: it's a moral failing on your part when we know that's not the case. Why Absolutely. are we stuck in old frames? Absolutely. Mm. Well, yeah, we've got to do better. We have to do better. Yeah. And, and our veterans deserve
0: better. They absolutely do. They absolutely do. Mm.
1: Well, I mean, I thank you for sitting down and talking with us.
0: Absolutely. Because
1: this is, I mean, I've learned a lot and it's just made me think about the, the different tensions and dynamics that come into play for veterans. Um, if you were to suggest to people a place to donate or uh, a website to visit to learn more about, these dynamics, where would you encourage them to go or give?
0: Well, you know, I'm a, a member of the Association of Black Psychologists. So we usually have research and things up on the website um, that people can go to. Um, I would always say go to any local um, veteran related organization. You have things like Disabled American Veterans, the DAV, you have vet centers. Um, but, you know, just getting people to just Google, you know, local vet. Um, service or local vet shelter and and seeing what's in your area. Because sometimes we aren't aware of where we can recommend people to go. Yeah.
1: yeah. And I, I thank you for doing this Absolutely. area of clinical work Oh, thank Um, you. Because it's important, right? And it's important that we as clinicians talk to each other because, you know, I have people come through, I don't necessarily have a big private practice, but, you know, for me to be aware of that aspect of their identity. And like I said, in my own consulting work, when I'm working with people in corporations and spaces, people carry that with them. That's a part of who they are. It's a huge part. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I have so much respect um, for veterans and so I hope that in our conversation, talking about the dynamics of the military as an organization um, in no way, you know, makes any veteran feel slighted. Um, And so I, because I have the utmost respect and when I see them, I do thank them for their service. I do want us to all be better in recognizing that mental health is definitely a major and huge factor that should be considered when we are talking about those who have served this country. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you.
1: And thank you all for joining me on this special edition of Raising Equity in honor of Veterans Day, in honor of all the veterans who have served and who have given the ultimate sacrifice. I'll see you next time on Raising Equity.